everyone, and welcome back to Real Perspective, the podcast based on a YouTube channel based on a podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. Michael Moray. And Missy Lonsinger. And this week, we are here to talk about Dune, which is an adaptation of the 1965 Frank Herbert novel. It is the third adaptation. The first one was the David Lynch film, and the second one was a uh, miniseries on sci-fi. Um and it follows the Atreides house who, uh, we talked about Squid Game last week, Mike. Um, it follows the house of Atreides who has been put in charge of the desert planet Arrakis and they are to control the harvesting of something called spice on the, uh, the planet, which is a very valuable substance that is used for uh, both its psychedelic purposes and its use in space travel. Um, and they've been put in charge of that from the emperor of the Duneverse, uh, who is nameless, and he has taken control of Arrakis away from their rival house, the Harkonnens, and the Harkonnens are not happy about that. So it follows the Atreides clan as they go to Dune, or they go to Arrakis and uh, set up shop there, and then the Harkonnens kind of make a play for the throne um, to get their, their land back, and um, some stuff happens, and basically the sun of uh, the Atreides family, Paul and his mother, Lady Jessica, end up in exile. And it takes two hours and 45 minutes for that. All Everything I just said to happen, which actually isn't a lot of stuff. Not <laughs> <laughs> um, at all. Nope. So, yeah. What did you guys think about Dune? Yeah. <laughs> 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 that was as long as the sigh it took for MJ to say what we were doing for this episode. <laughs> MJ, I don't know if you clocked that with own, your own self or Mike. Have you heard it? MJ, you literally went. <sighs> and today, I notice I did that at all. It it took a second because it. I almost laughed out loud. I was like, "Oh man, that's kind of how I felt about you." Um, would you guys like me to start? Go ahead. You've Go seen ahead. it mo the most recently, so this is true. I just thought today. Um, on a TV screen from HBO Max, to be fair, which I a thousand percent now understand is not even remotely the way that would make it enjoyable, uh, because I think it's only redeeming quality as far as I could see is that it looks like uh, aesthetically it would probably be really, really enjoyable on a big screen, at least to look at. Uh, <laughs> um, I didn't care for it. Um, it... <sighs> I so I was kind of live texting you guys as I was watching a lot of it. Um, it was so much information. So I mean, within seconds, it was kind of like, oh, so this is Game of Thrones in space. Yeah. Or uh, if I if I text Jordan or if I talk to uh, my roommate about it, who's a very big fan of Dune, you could say that uh, Game of Thrones is or wait, yeah, is uh, Dune on Earth because Dune did yeah, originate, yeah. and I, I have to admit that. Uh, and I'll give credit where credit is due. There are so many families. There's so many planets. There's so much stuff going on. There's so many uh, just moving parts, which is fine. Uh, but it's both <laughs> two and a half hours is both way too long and way too short. It's way too long of a runtime for a film, uh, especially where nothing is happening. But it's way too short of a time to try to explain just the the massive universe that has been created within this book series and so it was like every other sentence was just like getting hit with a fire hose of exposition there was no character building there is nothing redeeming about any of the characters that i could see because all i could keep up with as much as i could was just oh like 
hi, Mike, we have been friends since seventh grade, as you know. Oh, you are writing with a pencil? <laughs> that is a utensil that people use to write with. And it's just like every single thing was explaining things that you know the characters already knew. But for the benefit of the audience, they had to explain because we don't know what Spice is. Um, mm. We don't know what a lot of the other stuff is. And <laughs> the fun thing was with as much exposition as they poured onto us, there was still a lot I found out from, again, talking to my roommate who has is a really big fan of the book. There's yeah. a lot that would have been really beneficial to know that we were yeah. not privy to. Um, yeah, it's just, man. And, and the thing is, it's not even like I'm against exposition. And I was talking to Jordan about this earlier. Fellowship of the Ring is one of the best films I've seen deliver a shit ton of exposition, but in a really interesting way, in a way that flows that clips that makes me want to keep watching more and makes me intrigued. And I still care about the characters. I don't know anything about hardly any of these people and I don't care about them because all I saw was just watching exposition the whole time. So, mm. uh, as, as surprising as it may be from that, um, really uplifting review wasn't my favorite film that I've watched of the year or ever. <laughs> so go for it guys. Uh, okay. Well, I'll follow that up by saying I largely agree with you. I'm glad that you brought up the Fellowship of the Ring example because that's what I was going to go to. That's like an example of something where they adapt what they should. Uh, they change what they can to make it fit within a cinematic form. And they cut out what doesn't work uh, in a mm -hmm. cinematic form. And... Tom Bombadil, cough, cough. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sorry, people who really like that shit. Um, but... <laughs> And then the extended this, versions add most of that crap back in. Yeah, the extended versions um, are actually not well made, or not <gasps> not. They're well say, made, but they're, well they're made. not well paced. What? Correct. They're what? not good films. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and turn off my mic for a bit and just um, leave. So continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with regards to this, I feel like I was watching an extended edition, um, and, and it's not well uh, paced. It's no. not a good film. I felt like I was watching either a trailer or a pilot to a television series. It, sure. The problem with that philosophy is, is that there's nothing that we're going to be followed up with until two or three years from now. And, yeah. and it's going to be a part two. So we have one half of an empty movie so far. And I don't anticipate that like the second half is going to suddenly redeem it. I just didn't care about the characters despite spending two hours and 45 minutes with them. Like right. Jason Momoa's character makes a big sacrifice. And I kind of felt like, okay, <laughs> when it happened. Uh, Put some respect it, on Duncan Idaho's name, sir. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Great name. Though. Great name. name. God, I hate um, it. No, it's dumb. It's a good name. I'm, I'm team, <laughs> no. team Duncan Idaho. I think it's a good name. I like it. For what for what movie is that a good name? Is it for the movie where everybody else's name is like Sheboygan whatever? Or it's like, no. And it's, then a, like, it's a good name for a movie about futuristic porn stars. Yeah, but that's not yeah. this movie. So get out of here, Duncan Paul, Idaho. Paul You're Sheboygan right. and Duncan Idaho. Um, yeah. Like, and like, I think they're trying to kind of slightly in a different way evoke like Boromir's death slash sacrifice kind of mm -hmm. in a way you know like that's kind of another analogy i can bring to fellowship where mm, yeah i felt like in that Bormir doesn't even show up until halfway that through that movie um right but it still like feels meaningful and i got the gist of what his character stood for oh i cried uh, Jason, when he died that was the first movie i cried at wow because of his death yeah i yeah. mean that i mean yeah that this is a testament to how like effective they were at setting up that character in such a short amount of time and then this, 
I mean, I guess he's a bodyguard, sort of. Like that, I, okay. I mean, I guess I'm supposed to feel bad, sort of. But I don't really know who, who he is or what makes him tick. And that's just Right. kind of emblematic of how cold and distant I felt from most of the characters. And I understand that's maybe part of the source material as well. Um, but I, I didn't exude any warmth. And then um, the, the, the direction is also like equally kind of um, sterile and like brutal brutalist and like how Mhm. it Mm comes across. And it, it just kind of like results in a film that keeps you at arm's length and you never really get any sort of Yeah. warmth or investment in any of it. So um, that being said, I kind of like the spectacle of it and Sure. like, I, you don't see like a lot I of thought sci-fi it was a good look. that like looks this good. Yeah. Um, but as like an actual film experience, I was pretty bored and not really engaged emotionally with it. I agree. So I have a bit of a unique perspective on it uh, as far as people... on the this podcast are concerned and that I am basically right at the point of the book where the film ends. Um, and like the only thing that happens in the movie that I haven't gotten to yet is that final duel between, uh, Paul and a Fremen guy. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Some Um, of the day. as Jamis or something. That's Yeah, it. I was fighting, Yeah. I was fighting sleep by that time. Um, so I have seen Dune 1.75 times and sort of, uh, I don't know if I count the full 0.75 because, uh, it's a bad, boring movie. And I got on my phone cause I've tried watching it on HBO max first and, uh, I thought it would be fine because, uh, I have a very large TV and I was just like, Hmm. Never mind. So I knew I had to see the rest of it for the show, um, but I was visiting my mother-in-law in Colorado Springs and I found out that they apparently have the best IMAX screen in the state. And so I slept on down there at 9.45 p.m. and saw a 9.45 IMAX showing of, Oh, uh, of Dune, which means I saw a 10 p.m. showing of Dune by the time all the trailers were done. Um, and it is... Uh, See, you know, seeing it on the big screen, it was a bad, boring movie on a big screen. Um, Right. it it offered literally nothing. It enhanced my experience zero percent, aside from the fact that I was forced to pay attention the whole time. Um, <laughs> uh. Yeah. it's also the second Denevi in a wave, uh, three pushing three hour sci-fi movie that I've seen in IMAX at 10 p.m. and I would like to stop doing that. Uh, because I did that with Blade Runner 2049 as well. But the difference Wow. is Blade Runner 2049 is a good movie. Yeah, it is. One of two good Denevi in a Wave movies. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, uh, the, so the book is very cold and dry Mm. and so is the movie. But the difference is that the book at the very least explains all the stuff to you and the movie doesn't. Right. And so like you at least feel like you have a grasp of how the world works, even if you feel like you're at arm's length uh, from it in this, I was like, I, and the thing is it's generating like largely positive buzz. And like, there are so many, it's the number one book right now. Dune is the number one book right now because so many people saw the movie Mm -hmm. Right. and vibed with it. And then they went and read the book and that's great, but I don't know how that happened because at the end of the movie, I was like, how, how does anyone who doesn't know anything about Dune 
grasp this movie? Like, how do you get the, like, how do you, how do you see this movie and be like, I understood that. I get I have the book no thing, though, because for me, it was so like when I was talking to, uh, to Nolan about it, I was like, it was like watching it through gauze. Like I could see, I was like, I think I can see that there's a good story in here somewhere. I think it's just so obscured by how poorly it was put together that I can't see it right now. But it, it intrigued me enough that I'm like, you know what? I think I would read the book because I, I love sci-fi novels, uh, even if they're long and sometimes dry. But I don't know. So I'm kind of intrigued to read it because of how bad it was. Like, I'm like, there's no way this book be as bad as this movie was for no. as popular and as many, you know, remakes as, as have been done of it. Yeah, well, and it's interesting because the book is just as dry as the movie is and just as cold as the movie is, but I, I yeah. like it a lot more. <laughs> and like, sure. the well, only like Game of Thrones for me. Yeah, like, it, it, I feel completely at arm's length from the book, but I feel like there's enough stuff that happens in the book that got, you know, uh, not, didn't make it to the final cut of the movie. Yeah. That, uh, because in the book, so I think here's what I'm trying to say. In the book, you see, you get all this exposition and you get all this like political backstory and then you get to see it in action at least one time before where the movie ends. There's this sure. big banquet that they have and I'm going to camp out on this for a minute <laughs> because no, yeah, I no think it- No one told me about it today or he yeah. explained it in more detail because I told him how you'd liked it. Yeah, so there's this huge dinner that they have that's a lot of just like politicking. That's all it is. It's just- you know, because the Atreides family goes to Arrakis. They're the new kids on the block, essentially. And they have to navigate, like, dealing with the indigenous Fremen people and then dealing with mm. kind of, like, the like damage control from what the Harkonnens did because the Harkonnens kind of ruled it with an iron fist. But then, they're like, the Harkonnens have left, in the book, Harkonnens have left spies behind, and one of the spies mm -hmm. has infiltrated the uh the dinner and so the whole time uh you, you know you have the this secret society that's kind of religious called the Bene Gesserit and that's what like Lady Jessica is a Bene Gesserit and she's training Paul to be a Bene Gesserit so during mm -hmm. the banquet Jessica and Paul have this like side stealth politicking happening between them where they're trying to bait the spy because they know who it is and they know that he is a spy they're trying to bait him out is it Dr. Like, Ewey or is it somebody different? No, it's it's a different character entirely. Oh, interesting. Um, and it's really interesting and tense. And then, like, uh, you know, Leto, who is Oscar Isaac's character, is trying to understand the, the 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 cultural traditions of the Fremen, of the people of Arrakis, of the people of Arrakeen, which is the city they're living in, which gets mentioned one fucking time in the movie. And... Mm you know, he's, he gets, he's getting frustrated. He's getting increasingly frustrated and kind of drunk during it. And so like, he kind of fumbles it a little bit and like, it rounds out these characters so much more than what we have in the movie. And it's just one scene. Yeah. And, well, and I found and, out that they filmed that scene and it didn't make it in the movie. And I don't know why. So is that the one? So Nolan was talking about like, there's one where, um, because the people, because, uh, this family is almost like nouveau riche it's like the the people at the banquet are like dipping their hands in water which is a scarcity yeah. which we barely touch on and yeah. we kind of see it in this film but not as much i guess as it's uh you know promoted in the book and they're like kind of just like wasting it and that he's like no we're not going to do this anymore yes. and i'm like that's a cool message to convey and that's yeah. at least a message to convey <laughs> yeah it's saying <laughs> something nothing in this. Yeah. And so like that, I feel like that scene is the key to the entire first half of the book. And it's just completely sure. missing from the movie. Like it goes right from they get to Eric and there's the attempt on Paul's life. 
And then, boom, action scene, and uh, Leto's drugged and, you know, brought in front of Baron Harkonnen or whatever. Like, it just, right. it skips that entire thing. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like, how did you skip the most important scene to the first half of the book? Like, there's yeah. that's where all character development is in the book. And mm -hmm. it's just completely missing from the, the movie. So you're getting not just, like, you're getting, like, a cliff notes that someone, like, you're getting a, one of my students wrote <laughs> you're getting a drunk history version of the cliff notes to do yeah in this movie. absolutely yeah i mean oh also speaking of uh baron harkonnen was that uh the stellan skarsgård yeah mm -hmm. okay so okay so just i mean just to kind of note again on the fact that everything went by so quickly to the point that when i was texting you guys i was like did i blink and just miss a really important plot point or did they just not cover it and you guys are like no that's just pretty much how it is so he he can float because he has gravity to fires or something and we were supposed to have known that because you can see for one second a scene where you can see lighting when he's in the sauna yeah when he's in the and sauna they light up right and that is the only time that anything remotely close to a reference or explanation of him being able to fly happens and that's just like to me so indicative of this entire film where it's like they'll get it we'll just do like the briefest of moments to like kind of maybe hint at something that explains this but we won't actually do it and then we'll just spend the rest of the time doing very needless uh exposition which i think just assumes that you have the stupidest of audiences so it's like you know that you are my mother mother you have been my mother my whole life and it's like instead <laughs> we're not going to explain why a fat man can float around so it was just like all right cool <laughs> okay, so in the book, not to be this guy the whole podcast, but I'm kind of being this guy the whole podcast. Oh, I'm going to be that way and I haven't even read the book. They mention, there's one mention of like he has straps that help carry his large amount of weight around, but at no right. point did I think that they made him fly. Like I thought it was like fat suspenders, basically. Like, like it was <laughs> sure. almost like he was like a Mad Max character where he had just like a bunch of like you know, kind of BDSM looking straps that held his fat up and like helped support the weight of it. I didn't think it was like an apparatus that defies gravity for him. So even reading the girl. book, I didn't get that, which is why when he floats in the movie, I was like, guess that's happening. <laughs> um, <laughs> why the hell not? Yeah. Uh, so it's still better than the David Lynch version though, with uh, him floating around. So I, I knew that he could float. Um, and it was even goofier in that version of the film. Um, see, now I'm intrigued to see that because I've never yeah, seen that. Yeah, I kind of want to watch that, too. It, it, it is a, an interesting train wreck. Um, it, in some ways, I feel like it actually prepares you better to watch this because, like, there's voiceover okay. and, uh, mm. like, a narration that goes mm -hmm. on. And so there's at least explanation that happens during that versus this where it's just so sparse. And uh, I mean, obviously there's exposition that happens, but there's a lot of interior, like interior monologuing and discussion that doesn't happen in this version that Lynch's version does better. But in other mm -hmm. ways, it's like a really bad, corny, 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 cheesy film. Um, and, but like neither one of them is a complete movie. And if you yeah. kind of combine the both of them, I think that maybe you would end up with something better. All right. Sure. Uh, the, the, the David Lynch version does have Patrick Stewart carrying a pug into battle. So yes, there is. I that. mean, that's already infinitely better than anything I saw today. So I've already in, I'll go watch it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it just, it's such like, it's such, I'm finding it hard to talk about without comparing it to the book. Cause nothing happens in this movie. Like it's, 
Right. It, it's well, it's but it's a science fiction version of fantastic Fantastic Beasts too. Like it's yeah. just all first act. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say even if you haven't read the book, so I had I came in completely blind. I knew absolutely zero about this. I knew the cast. I knew that there was something called Spice because I've played the board game with MJ. Um, but even from the board game, I didn't remember that much. I kind of remembered seeing some of the way the characters looked, but I knew nothing. And, th- and it told me nothing. I kind of, I mean, I at, at the basis point, I get kind of some of the characters and the types of people they have. I get that they're like the the witchcraft people or the the you know future seers, but it's like it it doesn't even it's not even like this is one of those things where it's like oh the book was better than the movie, which it sounds like is the case. It's just like this was just a bad movie. It yeah. wasn't good. Uh, even if it wasn't based on source material, I'd just be like, what the hell did I just watch? Because I knew it was based on source material. It was frustrating me even more because I've just been talking with my freshman students, freshmen, 14-year-olds about exposition. And when I Mm -hmm. point out to them, hey, you can tell when bad exposition is happening because characters will say something that you know is very obvious to another character, but you can tell it's just for your benefit. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's horrible. And I'm like, cool, that's what this entire movie is. (laughs) All of it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, look, the the barest qualifications, I think, to make like a good film is um, that you have characters and they have character arcs and there's maybe yep. a theme that you communicate through the characters to, mm-hmm. as like a statement on human condition or life or, you know, some sort of statement on it. And this fails every single one of those qualifications. <laughs> yeah. Like there's none yeah. of that. I, I, I don't understand you know, we, we obviously we're halfway through a story. So I understand that like some of these things are not going to be fulfilled, but I don't even understand what we're trying to say about anything currently. Yeah, right. And, and, you know, I guess obviously I, I understand what uh, Paul Atreides goes through in the rest of the novel and subsequent novels to a certain degree, but it's not like a lot of this movie really set any of that up either. No. Or, um, right. it, it's just like not satisfying. It, that's just no. the way it is. The closest thing I can think of to even sort of a message is at the beginning when Zendaya is whispering and she says, I wonder who our next oppressors will be. And it cuts to a shot of Timothy Chalamet. And Mm -hmm. it's sort of like there's a sort of visual bridge there that makes you think that the movie's maybe going to be about colonialism. And then it's just (laughs) never not a thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's nothing. And like Missy, like you said, like there's the, the thing with the water, like, Water right. is so scarce on the planet, and they like the book mentions it constantly. Like everyone right. is thinking about water. Like the still suits that they have are to preserve your body's water so you don't get dehydrated because of how mm-hmm. scarce water is in the desert. There's the scene with Javier Bardem where he comes in Respect. and he spits on the ground, yeah. and that's like a sign of respect to give up your body's water. And like, like Jason Momoa has a throwaway line about it, and yeah. that's it. No, it's, yeah, Nolan was super upset. He's like, that was supposed to be super serious. And they made yeah. it into like a joke because as we would think of it, he, it just looks like he spits on him, like he disrespected him. Right. And so right. it's like, yeah, it's because that would have been a huge, that could have been a big message. I mean, we we just talked about a show where the class system and, and the haves and the have nots is, mm-hmm. you know, a very classic message, but it's still at least a message that had nothing, had nothing. Well, that wasn't and, even and very just... much touched upon. And the thing is, is and you're kind of, you've touched on that before, but it's like we spend a lot of time on nonsense or literally nothing. And then we cut important things that um, could mean something. But right. 
I don't understand how we can spend two hours and 45 minutes and then still not understand like what characters wants and desires are or right. even like basic stuff. Like they go and take over the city on Arrakis, but mm. is it like, is it only the Atreides family and their army that's like occupying that? Are there like civilians who are on that city? I, I yeah, don't even understand. There's not a sense of place to the place. Right. No. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Like, you, you have like a giant panning shot like a, aboard like the dragonfly helicopter of like them approaching the city. But I don't actually have an understanding of like, are there civilians who are residing in there or is it just unoccupied? Yeah. Like what, what am I Was even like? Sand? Right. Like, yeah, what, boxing what, boxing yeah. sand. Yeah. Eric Keen is the uh, name of that place. It, I don't know. It's just like okay. hard to like eh. uh, understand boxing the scope sand. of some things as a result of it. Yeah. Yeah it's, yeah, it's very sparse. Like, the only characters in this damn movie are the ones we see on screen, which is stupid. Like, like the ones who the camera focuses on and have lines. Right, like, yeah. There's right. some, there's, like, a little bit of, like, it shows the Atreides army, and there's a little bit of, like, it shows a bunch of Fremen. But mm -hmm. that's it. Like, yeah. other than that, it is just the people on the cast list. Yeah, yeah. It, it's real sparse. <clears throat> yeah, and then it even, doesn't like, make sense. It like even well, extends to like the editing of things right. though, because yeah, like there's a part where they're uh, the Atreides family is getting ready to go and take off, and then the movie like literally cuts like they're taking off from their home planet, mm -hmm. and then it goes and cuts to them like suddenly being on Arrakis. It's like, wait, what? <clears throat> like, we just yeah. skipped, like all of the hyperspace like traveling that like is super expensive right. and like requires a lot of resources like it's just like boom all right including spice which we've talked about this whole film now we don't see how it works right yeah okay, we don't cool. even see how it works or like how they travel or anything like that like there's no like wonderment or like the, of them like traveling across the stars because like we're told how expensive it is and difficult or whatever like that like right. certain clans go and control it and all these things and then it's just like mm -hmm. meh they're like and now they're there like what yeah <laughs> i best i remember the book does that as well so that mm. is actually fairly accurate because I don't remember a lot of them traveling from Caladan to Arrakis. Okay. I feel like in the David Lynch version, they played that up more. Yeah. Um, and so maybe that's what I'm expecting too. But it, it kind of reminds me of like a scene in like The Dark Knight where um, <clears throat> there's that one part where like Joker takes over the party and then he throws Rachel off the building. And oh, then, yeah. Like Batman saves her. And then like, uh, then the movie just like cuts to the next day, but it's like, but the Joker yeah. was still in the building. Wait, what, how, how, <laughs> Where did, did he go? Where did he, like, yeah. I mean, he only like, there's like only one exit to this building. Probably he could probably he had to take him. an elevator, right? Like, <laughs> is it he, just him? Just like in an like elevator? Are they like, like playing like cat car. and mouse, like, like, or chicken? Like Joker's like afraid to get in the elevator, but Batman doesn't want to leave the bottom ground floor. Or, like, <laughs> like what the hell? <laughs> Well, but uh, anyway, this is kind of felt like you're I've editing never out. Never thought like, about that, by the way. Yeah, uh, no, I, love I, that. I like that movie overall, but there's like a couple like head scratching parts in it. Um, yeah, I've never thought about that, and that's <laughs> going to be the only thing I think of the next time I watch that movie. That's so Sorry funny. Uh, but there's a lot guy, of like things like that in this. in this too. Yeah, yeah. Who was in this? That one actor. That one actor. David Desmalachain or whatever. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, so I was curious, what did you guys think of the performances in this? Because obviously mm -hmm. the writing was not good. I didn't think the direction was pretty. I thought visually the, some of the effects and I, I can attain to that or probably speak to this better when I see it in theaters. Um, I'm sure it would look much. Well, I know MJ, you probably disagree, but I'm sure it would look better in theaters. But what did you guys think of the actual like acting performances? Um, mm -hmm. 
I liked <laughs> I liked Oscar Isaac a lot, and that's because yes. I don't actually like the character in the book very much. Um, oh, okay. He was great. Well, I thought like he. The scene in the graveyard is the only scene that works in the whole movie where mm. they're talking about like, what if, what if I don't want to become the the Duke of Atreides yeah. or whatever? Yeah, that that seems pretty good. Yeah. And it worked yeah. for me both times. Um, mm -hmm. Josh Brolin, much like the book is the most interesting character and he ends up getting completely sidelined. I thought he was mm -hmm. good, um, yeah. he, okay, but he's heard, my favorite character from the book. So I, I had heard that he, so what they tried to do with Jason Momoa was supposed to be Josh Brolin, that yeah. that character is the one who's more of the mentor to Paul. And I was mm -hmm. I was talking to again Nolan about it and he's like, I think it's honestly just because Josh Brolin's old and they want to try to get like a bro guy in there to yeah, like be it, like the hey man, yeah, we're cool together. And it's Yeah, like, so so the Duncan yeah. Idaho arc in the book is actually more interesting than in the movie too, in that mm -hmm. the when so when Javier Bardem Stilgar is his name. So when Stilgar comes right. and, and meets with the Atreides clan, he's coming to ask permission for them to have Duncan Idaho go with them permanently. And so uh, so then Leto says like, yeah, you'll be our go-between. So I want you to go with them, but then I want you to come back every so often and report back to us about like what's happening in the desert. And that's right. a really interesting direction to take that character. Now, yeah, I don't sure. know if that character does die almost immediately at the halfway point, the way he does in the film. Um, yeah. Or if that happens to Josh Brolin, who's Gurney Halleck. Um, but that's an interesting arc for that character. Gurney Halleck is like, this super knowledgeable musician in the book who oh. has like all these nuggets of wisdom. Like he's constantly quoting like great works of literature or the Bible. And like mm. none of that's in the movie. There's one line he has about it when he says, when they get to Arrakis and he talks about his lungs tasting the sand or whatever, that's like yeah. a quote from something like he, and mm. like there's there, people are always joking about it. So like there's a strat, the strategy meeting after the attempt on uh, Paul's life where they're talking about the, they got access to the Harkonnens accounts or whatever, their their accounting documents or whatever. He says something and Gurney says a quote from something and he's like, Leto makes a joke about like, one of these days I'll catch you off guard, like where you, you're you not, you don't have something at the ready. Like he's a philosophizer yeah. and says a lot yeah. of like cool, wise, interesting stuff in the book. And he just doesn't <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah. But he's so, he's really compelling as a performer. So he was still the sure. most interesting character in the movie to me. <laughs> mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, the funny thing is, though, is that the way the movie is written kind of feels like the Gurney character and the Duncan character could just be one character. Like, mm -hmm. it's like mm. they kind of like fulfill the same mentor protector type roles as portrayed in the film. And yeah, mm -hmm. this kind of leads to like this cast feeling a little bit bloated. And uh, to answer your question, Misty, I felt like I, I thought they actually mostly did good performances. It's just what they had to work with was pretty limited. Um, sure. I mean, notice how we're kind of dancing around the main character himself. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm a little like juries out on Timothy Chalamet, like being this great actor. Yeah. Well, that's because he's not a good actor. I really liked him in little women. That's one of the only other things I've seen. He's him pretty in. good in he... little women. He's good at being who I think Timothy Chalamet is in Lady Bird. <laughs> oh, I forget. See, I forgot he was in that. Man. He's the douchey like boyfriend who's yeah. like reading Infinite Jest or whatever. Sure. Yeah. Ugh, um, yeah. I was wondering, Continue, though. M MJ, as someone who 
has read part of the book. Uh, did you like Rebecca Ferguson as Lady Jessica? She was people... awful in this movie. I yeah. really, thank you. She was thank she you. was my least favorite part of that movie, and I've liked her in everything else I've seen her in no, quite a bit. Like, like she's it. great in the Mission Impossible movie. She's yeah. awesome in Doctor Sleep. She's so good in that movie. She's terrible no, no. in this. That's what I heard that she's not good. was like, oh, I heard she was good. And I was like, she was sleepwalking through it. She was doing Dude. literally nothing. Like the most she was doing was repeating lines that she was supposed to say. And that is all I can say for it. It was and, such a boring performance. And I've heard from some people that um, she doesn't seem to do a very good job portraying the book, Jessica, because she seems like she's weepy all the time in this movie versus yeah. the book one seems a little more stoic. The problem, I think the big problem, and I'm glad you brought this up because I was trying, I was having a hard time wording this. The book is written where you're like, when people are thinking shit, they tell you what they're thinking all the time. Yeah. And most of Lady Jessica's entire character development comes from her internal monologue. So it's all, the book mm. is constantly like, and Lady, and while this was happening, Lady Jessica was noticing this little detail about it and thinking this. And it's yeah. really hard to convey that, you know, yeah. as like, she, I, I like, I do not envy her having to portray that. Um, but God, she's so bad in this movie. See, here's the thing, though, is I feel like we've all seen good enough actors where there's not, I mean, we've even seen actors where they don't really speak, like mm -hmm. at all, but you can see it in their face. Like, and Anna Paquin in The Irishman. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's like you see, you can, our faces are very capable of little intricacies. She had nothing there because uh, yeah. I heard somebody where it's like, oh, isn't the, the Jessica character supposed to be like Lady Macbeth? And I was like, no. I was like, not the way that I saw it portrayed because Lady Macbeth is, uh, you know, full of machinations and thinking about how she can manipulate and get herself yeah. and her husband to the top. And it's like, she doesn't do any of that. I didn't even know she was trying to help her son become one of the Benin Jesuits, whatever they're called. It's just like, <laughs> not if that was supposed to be the goal, she did, she did not achieve any of that. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of that is the writing that was really bad. But she herself, like, I did not see any of that in her face. Um, yeah. And so, it's like, I don't know. That there are much like Francis McDormand. I can see everything, every single thought that's going through her little brain. I'm like, oh man, I get what you're feeling right now, and you're not even saying anything because mm -hmm. you're expressing it so well through your face. Because I get it, and I felt that. But it's just like, man, I felt nothing from her. It felt like she was sleepwalking. Yeah, uh, I did not know how to take her. I feel like she failed the assignment in terms of yeah, understanding her sure. character based off of what I've been told from other people. And yeah. maybe that's partially on her for not knowing what happens with her character or on the director for not informing her how to act. But regardless, um, I agree with you, Andrew. She's been good in everything I've ever seen her in. And then this one didn't really know what she was going for. And yeah, um, I, yeah I have no idea. And it's not even that she's making like weird choices. She's just not no, doing anything. She's not yeah. making any choices. It's yeah. an yeah. choice. The rest of them, I mean, they did fine, but it's like I, I just didn't care about their characters or anything like that. So it yeah. didn't really I, register with me one way or the other. Which I mean, I think Skarsgård is curious. fine. It's I have no strong feelings either way. I like Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah, he was that's a, creepy enough for me. Yeah, yeah. I feel like for as grotesque as the character was, and like it almost felt like um, Snoke from the new trilogy kind where of like, yeah. I, can, I can tell that you want me to think that this is a bad guy but you're not giving me remotely enough to know why he's mm -hmm. a bad guy except yeah. for he's creepy looking uh and my childhood brain will be like oh creepy looking means bad so mm -hmm. it's like 
I don't know. I, like, I love Stellan Skarsgård, and I think what he did with the just tiny, tiny, tiny bit of acting that he was uh, provided was good. But yeah, I, I wish I could have seen more of that because he seems like a really interesting character. Yeah, he was clearly having fun, and I read that he loved yeah. being in that fat suit. <laughs> yeah, he seemed like he was having a good time in it. I, I, there yeah. was something weird about that, but yeah, I sensed it too. Yeah, I thought the two, I'm, and no joke, I legit think the two best performances in the movie are the two Mentats who don't get explained what the fuck those guys are at all. Yes! Um, so the Mentats are like kind of right-hand, they're like the right-hand man of the leader of the house and they can see like the past and the future and stuff. They're different from the Bene Gesserit because they're like a secret, like the Bene Gesserit are like a secret religious society who can have kind of access those powers a little bit. But the Mentat, like that's their main thing. Like the Bene Gesserit, they're like... Mm-hmm good at manipulating people and also they have some like vaguely supernatural powered stuff that can happen but uh particularly when they come into contact with spice which is what happens with paul but we'll talk about that later but so it's stephen mckinley henderson who is also in ladybird actually um he's like the choir teacher in in ladybird or the drama teacher in ladybird something like that whichever artsy elective they're in in that movie and uh, they're all interchangeable, MJ. That's why I'm interested <laughs> in music and or theater, but who knows? Um, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, David Dust Malchain or whatever, Polka Dot Man from yes. Suicide Squad, he's in it uh, as Pieter. Uh, and it's like anytime you try to say his name, that's my favorite. Yeah, uh, they're they're good. I like both of them a yeah. lot because I like both no, of them great. a lot. <laughs> they're really like. Mm-hmm. They're really compelling, like, uh, presences on screen. And every time they show up in a movie, I get excited. I didn't yeah. know uh, Polka Dot Man was going to be in it, so. I didn't either. Well, and they're, like, like without knowing what Mintats were fully, I was, like, I, I get this character trope. You're, like, the weaselly little advisor who's going to help out. Like, and that was kind of cool. It was cool we're, to see the different types welcome. of them, too. It was, it was good. Yeah. But well, the thing know- is, go ahead. Oh, I'm going to slightly change the subject. So if you want to go on this, mm. go ahead. MJ. The Mentat, the thing is, so prior to my reading the book and watching the film, my only experience with Dune was playing the board game one time with Kristen and Missy and Jordan. And <laughs> it's one, it's an incredible board game, but That's I so legitimately funny. feel like I had a better grasp of the Dune universe from that than I did from this film. Because mm. in that, you can go and hire a Mentat to come, like, with you for one turn. So they're kind of like oh, mercenary guys. Yeah. And they use the term Mentat in the game, which yeah. does not, they don't say it at all in the movie. Yeah. Ever. It's bizarre. I, I don't I understand they, they that. mentioned it once, and I only recognized it because that's, again, like, because everything comes from Dune, apparently, that's sci-fi. That's a phrase that's used in, like, Mass Effect and other video games I play mm-hmm. that are Bioware specifically. It's, like, usually, like, a pill or something you can take. Or, like, it might mm-hmm. be a Fallout, I don't remember, but it's something. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. But no, continue. Yeah. The board game was much more helpful than the film itself. <laughs> Um, yeah, it it just like it feels like a place too. Like you feel like because in the board game, you there's all these clans you can go to and you can you can politic your way to it, like bring your influence up on these clans who are just kind of right. either not mentioned at all or mentioned in passing in the mm-hmm. movie, but they feel important in the game. And like the game makes you feel like you're part of this big vast universe instead of like one walled off city that may or may not be abandoned yeah. <laughs> like yeah, that, that yeah. is only populated by the characters on the poster yeah yep essentially <laughs> okay yeah. go ahead mike 
Oh, um, nothing. It's just to change the subject slightly, but taking off of what Missy was saying with regards to the Harkonnens and, and um, Stone Skarsgård's character specifically, how his character reminded you of Snoke. I feel mm -hmm. like so much of Dune has been, you know, lifted from or has been pilfered uh, yeah. by other media, you yeah. know, Star Wars in particular, that whatever has made it unique and special it has been completely lost. And now it seems like it's kind of the leftovers or like a, yeah. a retread of things that we've already seen. Like I've, mm -hmm. I've seen like this desert planet stuff like before right. and, and I've seen like evil empires and I've seen like kind of shadowy, disgusting, like manipulators and all these kind of right. things. And, and it's not like really the movie or the source materials fault, but I think that Hollywood needs to kind of grapple with the idea that like this stuff has been done now and, and maybe yeah. done definitively, you know, unfortunately to the book's detriment. Um, and, and now it just feels like, okay, like, yeah, e evil bad guys who live in like brutalist architecture, check, you sure. know, what, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, no, I think that's such a good point though, because, and I think like part of it goes back to what they cut from the book where it's like, like you said, we've seen all of this before and obviously I know there's nothing new under the sun or whatever. Um, and a lot of things come mm -hmm. from, you know, Joseph Campbell's hero cycle and stuff. But I mean, why, why would they not keep that in mind and be like, okay, we don't have to keep harking on the things that literally everyone has seen for the past, you know, four or five decades of, of filmmaking or anything right. like that. Like why not hit on the things that actually make this unique? Because right. we have seen all of these tropes so many times. Why is that what we're focusing on here so that people are bored? And they're like, yeah, we get it. We've seen Star Wars. We've seen Game of Thrones. We've seen fill in the blank. So yeah, I can yeah, tell you exactly really why. Yeah, I'll tell you I, why too. It's not a TV show and it should have been. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Like there's yeah. not enough time That's to explore the shit that makes this thing interesting. Yeah, there just right. isn't. And I, and I would that. say also that the stuff that that you're saying that we've seen a million times that you know maybe we shouldn't focus on i think unfortunately those are like key parts of the book they and are right yeah. yes like, like yeah. i mean okay the voice for example is basically just like the force <laughs> mind control <laughs> type thing yeah you know but like how can you avoid that subject because it's an integral part of the story is that he's got that ability to kind of command people right yeah and, and so yeah. these things that we've seen before you can't avoid because they're just huge chunks of like what makes the story work. Yeah. Well, and the book does kind of suffer from that a little bit too, because even like, you know, you, you, I didn't know what year the book had come out. So when I was listening to it at the beginning, I was like, this feels like Star Wars. And so I was like, when the fuck did this oh, come sure. out? So I looked it up and it was, you know, 1965 is when the book came out. So I was like, oh, okay. So Star Wars just lifted a bunch of stuff from this. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. uh, but then as I, as I was listening to it, and this is obviously, influences on star wars too as i was listening to it i was like oh this is clear that frank herbert was inspired by the joseph conrad stuff and the king mm -hmm. arthur stuff like there's a lot mm -hmm. of king arthur and paul that's not in the movie um mm -hmm. there's also a lot of like biblical and religious stuff that's just completely devoid in the movie for any religion so like the fremen are supposed to be practicing this hybrid of buddhism and islam and it's just mm -hmm. like not touched on in the movie at all nope. um perhaps we'll get that more in the second one but like there's a big, big, big emphasis on people quoting the scripture of many different religions over the yeah. course of the book, 
which sets up the Paul is Jesus stuff way better than what happens in the movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, something else too, and this is not something that uh, Star Wars or anything like that lifted from, but I feel like I saw this version of the story better in Lawrence of Arabia. And I got like that done in three hours or whatever versus yeah, this. Like, right. I still have to wait another three hours to get to like the full story of it. So mm. based off of what I know of Dune, the story anyway, I just feel like I've already seen like another desert, like uh, action adventure epic type movie that does this much better. I don't see what this is doing that's special or different. And, and like, I know you said, Missy, there's nothing new under the sun, but man, you got to give me like something to work with here. Well, no, and I I agree because I think we even talked about this when we were talking about Squid Game is Squid Game is not a unique story. We've seen Hunger Games. We've seen Battle Royale. We've seen all these survivalist things. We've seen the haves versus the have-nots for for, they did it in a way. And again, I think character development is a huge thing. And they had the benefit of taking the time to actually give us characters we cared Mm -hmm. about. Like they did it in a way that was you know, meaningful in a way that I I did care about the characters that I liked the way it was shot. I thought it was beautiful more so than this, which was kind of just like careless action movie set in a desert planet. Yeah. So it's like, the thing is, is it is, can, it can be a throwaway statement. Yeah, there is nothing new. Everything is a, a derivation of something else, but you can still do something beautiful and different and unique with your own perspective, which is what art is in general, right? It's like, there's like billions of different perspectives on one topic. And so it's like, but they didn't, they chose to not only not be unique, but to just emulate everything that we've been watching for decades and decades, specifically, you know, us as millennials, we've been watching star Wars and shit since we were little or star Trek or anything else that's like this. Well, and, and you bring up a good point too, about how it's action movie set in the desert. It's not an action movie. There's like no action Mm. in it. That is also like, it's not, it's not an action. It's crazy to me how much like, cause Denis was all over the, the freaking media talking about how this was like a passion project for him. This is his dream project or whatever. And it's like, well, you don't understand the source material clearly. Um, yeah, because it's a religious story and it's mm. a political story. Right. That's about it. Like, it's yeah. it's not an action epic at all. There's no space battles. There's no really like that assault that you see all happens in the background of the banquet scene. Like mm-hmm. that is yeah. all happening essentially off screen. But because the banquet isn't there, we have mm-hmm. to see that part and we have to get that spectacle. And that's not even saying because it looks like crap, but the like the action is bad, but the action also isn't yeah. integral to the story. It's not an action story. And that's why like I don't think it works as a movie and it needs to be a TV show because right. no, you've got, I mean, not even counting the stuff that Brian Herbert has written, just the Frank Herbert material is six books worth of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you know, why yeah, isn't that a TV there's show? There's no reason there shouldn't have been a TV show. It's, I mean, you're, again, knowing that most people have probably not read Dune, but have probably seen Game of Thrones, that's why my first thought was, oh, it's Game of Thrones in space. Why is this mm-hmm. not being done over at least a few seasons so that I can at least get to know who these characters are rather than you just, like, shoving it down my throat? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Well, I, I, kind of getting back to this discussion... You know, we all like Breaking Bad here, I think. And Breaking Bad, if you condense that all into a movie, is just Scarface. But and (laughs) if it had just been 
scar you know a breaking bad movie but he's a chemistry teacher instead of an immigrant we would just be like okay yeah that was that was a movie <laughs> but yeah the fact for that sure they could take their time with yeah it because there's so many episodes and you could spend time with characters and flesh them out that's what made it so meaningful and then this when all you do is just condense it it's like yeah it's kind of star wars ish <laughs> you know like that's the yeah way you walk away with right it's like, yeah it's scarface um and also mj with your, what you're saying in regards to like the action yeah the action was shot terribly for the most part yeah like yep. the, the melee fights were horrible like yep it actually reminded me a lot of like nolan and how stilted all of his action is still just yeah. bad choreography bad cuts yeah. like no pacing at all to them like it's just like, really slow really yes extremely oh, okay, slow yeah it's just another not thing well shot those suits that they had so i didn't realize this and i could be wrong correct me if they say this in the film because i didn't hear it uh i was told that the the little like suits they wear that are like shields that are blue all the time i was like the most I could piece together from watching it was that when red was happening, you were probably about to have it pierced or penetrated. Has um, been pierced when it turns red. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't realize that it's slow movements. And so Paul was trained to fight slowly because mm -hmm. if you hit slow, it can pierce through those type of barriers rather yeah, than Roland trying has to a line about it. Quick. Yeah. That, and so he yeah. was saying that there's like during that, that uh, battle at the end with Jamis or Jamis, whatever his name is, that people were even like, oh, what is he doing? Why isn't he, you know, he's playing him right now because that other guy was like fighting too fast. And so he was trying to fight slower to break through the barrier or whatever and hurt it. And I was just like, that would have been interesting to know. I would, that's something that makes this different than any other, you know, action yeah. film I've seen. But it's just uh, any chance they had at making this unique, whether it be from the action or anything else, I feel like they just kind of squandered. Yeah, it, well, the thing is, it brings, it's, and I don't necessarily mind this, a lot of this stuff gets brought up exactly one time, and that's not a huge deal when your movie isn't all exposition. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, it yeah, gets drowned out. It gets completely drowned no. out, because there's so yeah. much stuff to take, like, to take uh, uh, notice of. As a matter of fact, the, the reason I know uh, that they mention Arakeen, the city, one time in the movie is... Because I didn't, I like it, when I saw it the second time in theaters, I was like, did they even say the name of the city? And so I sure. purposely kept my ear out for it. And they do say it one time after it's been destroyed. Why do we not get that before? So we care about it when it gets destroyed. Like, yeah. It's just bizarre decision after bizarre decision of how to structure this thing and how to script yeah. this thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and it feels like they think that they've done the, the job of setting up Chekhov's gun and Chekhov's gun is this idea that, you know, if you go introduce like a gun sitting on the mm -hmm. mantle in the first act, it needs to kind of be used in the third act or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. So they think that they're fulfilling that by like, yeah, we mentioned the slow moving blade thing. It, like, way back like two hours ago but like yeah in the first <laughs> 10 minutes of the movie right and, and like but i don't even think that the way it was shot really conveyed that though still i feel so feel like yeah. paul and paul and them were just having a yeah. regular like knife fight at the no, end no i didn't get it at all it had to be explicitly told to me after the film because yeah. that was not even remotely conveyed to me again i just thought that i was like oh red means bad red means mm -hmm. they're about to get the suit pierced or something Right. That's all it, I can figure out from that fight with him. I mean, and, I'll uh, just Joshua. say that, like, like from a directing standpoint, I feel like trying to make an exciting knife fight where you have to be slow and deliberate is probably a tall order to do and make that sure, exciting still. Sure. Um, like, I have a hard time thinking of a way to make that rule like seem exciting on screen, which is the reason why maybe you 
shouldn't adapt that portion of it, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you should do something that like allows for it to be a little more exciting. Or um, if you do do it, do it when you make the TV show so it happens like once in like 20 minutes into an episode. Right, exactly. So you're reminded yeah. immediately of it and if you've established the rule better. Um, yeah, yeah, but they also get paid millions to figure out how to do that, so... I'm yeah. not, I don't feel that bad. <laughs> yeah, it, it, but it's just like some of the other fight. Well, I don't know what to say, fight scenes, but like the siege on the city and that stuff, like mm -hmm. it's just really awkwardly <clears throat> staged. Like people like throw up their arms and are getting exploded. Like even though the explosion happens <laughs> like hundreds of feet away, which was weird. Like people got like literally blown away by explosions that happened like to another group of people, which was weird. Um, and there's like all kinds of weird things like that. And, and if it, like, uh, do you not have like a second unit director who is, is good at this action stuff or what, what's <laughs> yeah. happening here? Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, Denis not really an action film director, but no. the action in Sicario is awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm. So you, what even happened? Blade Runner has better action. Yeah. Blade Runner has some I cool like set pieces movie. actually. Yeah. Um, that final showdown is really neat. Yeah. I like that final yeah. showdown on the ocean or whatever. It's really mm -hmm. great looking. Yeah, it's great um, looking. It communicates like the stakes well. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's tense versus this. I mean, the part where um, Duncan goes and like sacrifices himself was super boring. Like that was not yeah. like a really good action scene. It was just dull. could not have cared less. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, okay. There's two things I want to talk about. One what did you guys think about like killing Leto Atreides this early into the story? Does that not happen in the book? It does happen in the book. Oh, okay. I mean, As... what do you mean killing one of the only good actors? Yeah. As someone who hasn't read the book, it made me feel like, why did we waste an hour and a half with this character? <laughs> like, yeah. What, what purpose did he serve in the end? Because it just, it just felt like we marked time. Yeah, it, it's, I, I mean, in a separate universe where this movie had been done well or it was a TV show and then I could see more character development for him and between him and his son and between him and his concubine who I didn't find out until an hour and a half into the film was his concubine, not his actual wife. Like all, all of these interesting relationships that he has with different people and even with Josh Brolin's character, I probably would have cared more. But even knowing the glimpses of of the relationships he had with all those people i could not have cared less that he died i and i think he's a very good actor i think he did a lot with what he had which was nothing but uh, yeah he's just i mean another uh you know corpse in this massive pile of 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 dead bodies of, of just like horrible horribly written performances which i don't i don't blame him it's just yeah, yeah. he was given nothing it's weird because he's actually more likable as a character in the movie but mm -hmm. his death means a lot more in the book. It's weird. Mm. Uh, yeah. it, but because there's such an emphasis, I'm glad you brought that up, Missy. So mm. yeah, Lady Jessica and Leto Atreides are not married to each other. She's a concubine and like, we don't really know why he never married her. We don't really know nope. why she never really pushed for it um, in the book at least. And so it just is this unresolved thing which is actually re works really great in the book because Lady Jessica thinks about it a lot. Leto thinks about mm -hmm. it a lot. Yeah. Um, and so we and get that. Like, super touching in the book. Yeah, it's great. But, yeah. It's really, really good. Um, and like a really kind of bold choice. Like I legit was caught off guard by it. Like it was one of the few surprising <laughs> things that happened in the book. Like I was like, oh shit, he did that. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and uh, and I really liked in the book because like they get betrayed by UA, their doctor, right? And mm -hmm. uh, which like, by the way, we're in UA's head the entire time. So we know from the first time he sees that's Paul what I heard that he's going to betray them. Mm -hmm. I like that. So, I think that's bold and interesting. It makes him Judas. Like it, yeah. you know, like it, it, it makes you really interested in that character. And here he just mm -hmm. like is there. Mm -hmm. And then he gives one little look right before the big action scene where the siege happens. Ugh. Yeah. To, to be like, Hey, I betrayed you guys. And that's it. But he's super conflicted the entire book until that point. Mm -hmm. Sure. It's so dumb. What a stupid, what a stupid decision, man. But anyway, so in the book, you really think he's going to die. Like you said, I think, you know, Oscar Isaac just got killed by a dart. You really mm. think that's what's going to happen to him. And you're like, oh, this is it. Got it. And then like, it takes that little interesting, uh, it takes that little interesting turn of him, like trying to poison the Baron, um, yeah. which is great in the book. And in the movie, I was like, that was stupid. Like, it just, it yeah. just super doesn't work at all. Yeah. It, it just uh, didn't make me feel much of anything because we had one really good scene with Leto and then he, you know, the graveyard scene and then just really just a bunch of exposition, exposition, exposition with him afterwards. And so mm -hmm. when he dies, you're just kind of like, all right. Yeah. I mean, I guess, but somebody had to, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know what to help solve that? The freaking banquet scene. Yeah. Yep. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, even well, even the the damn the 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 hunter seeker that tries to kill Paul. Mm -hmm. There's like one oh, line yeah. about it. No, yep. they like, really someone that. tries to kill the prince yeah. basically, and Wasn't there's like the cool a thirty seconds interaction, and mm -hmm. that's yeah. it. Yeah. Oh well, all right. It was, you know, dark. <laughs> it was really cool. And then I was like, all right, yeah. that's awesome. And then nope, nothing. Oh. By the way, did you know that the reason the thing didn't try to attack him is because it's like a T-Rex and it's it reads movement? No. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> I kind of... I, see, that's the yeah, thing. I didn't I understand didn't, what was I going on. I think it was maybe something like that, or I didn't know if he was like mind-controlling it because I truly didn't know what he's capable of because I didn't know right. what the voice was. I didn't know what anything was. There were so many different possibilities. I, figured, I mean, obviously, there was some reason it wasn't attacking him. That was one thing that crossed my mind, but that was never explicitly stated, so... Why would we have known that? Yeah. I, so I like Dennis, Denny Villanueva more than you, MJ. Yes, like <laughs> yes you do. <laughs> every single one of his movies, except this one. Um, but this one just felt like a lot of his worst tendencies dialed up to 11. You know, the, mm. the, the very mm -hmm. sterile, sparse kind of like set design and, and locations and the the really cold characters and the kind of sometimes like quiet action scenes but dial up to like 11 to the point where they're like really stale and kind of janky it, mm -hmm. it, it's like how tenant was um ultimate christopher nolan this felt like den denny v in a way ultimate version film mm. to me mm -hmm. and also like you know emphasis on the music being really loud and evocative. It, it's the like music a, sucks. Yeah. It, yeah, it's not it was good. like this like drowning noise that overcame the dialogue. Electronic bagpipes, dog. Yep. <laughs> and just like this kind that of attempt so at doing a Christopher Nolan thing. I was yeah. like, why are there bagpipes here? 
I was like, yeah. don't don't use these weird space names and sometimes space languages and different space powers and then give me a freaking bagpipe. Like, get out of here. <laughs> Stop it. Well, I mean, yeah. I no, mean, big time, no right? Well. Because he, no he, he, no, no, no. Back to the the music being Nolan-esque. Yeah. Uh, freaking Hans Zimmer, responsible right. for both. Oh, yeah. yeah the no, most I saw the overrated music. composer working today. Yeah, I was like, Hans, oh, Hans has really dropped off. Like, over the last... Yeah. 10 or 15 years he is yeah. not been good generally agreed yep by the way uh music in 1984 dune by brian eno and toto mm. oh yeah i saw I, that yes. when i was looking up the the earlier movie i was like hell yeah if africa is not at least in the like closing <laughs> credits i'm gonna be really upset <laughs> <laughs> and it makes sense that they bless the rains and there's no water it's like you know it, it works I should have written this movie. <laughs> uh, oh, God. Yeah. Uh, I had something else that I don't remember what it was. It's probably not important. Oh, just a funny that? thing for, for both of them is uh, Gurney Halleck in the books is described as an ugly lump of a man more than one time. And oh, then no. in the movies, he's played by Patrick Stewart and Josh Brolin. Yeah. Just totally ugly. Two very handsome yeah. actors. Two very handsome actors. Patrick Stewart has never not looked great. I mean, yeah. and he's always been bald, too. He's just, like, is a very yeah. nice-looking man. Yep. Man. And uh, Josh Brolin is, like, grizzled old man hot. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like, he, like, and they, like, they the only thing they do to ugly him up is put a scar on his face, and all it does is make him look even cooler. And they're <laughs> just slabs of meat, both yeah. of them. No, he's, yeah. he's, 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 like, fine wine. He's He's wonderful. Yeah, oh, there's a there's fun. a there's a part in the in the banquet scene where like uh, Leto goes to check on like the the people assaulting, and he tells yeah. Gurney like, "Hey, I don't want my seat to be empty. Sit here with them." And like the book goes out of its way to talk about his lumpy ugliness looking out of place oh at my the dinner God. table, and That's I was so like, sad. "Wow." Does Denevian Wave hate Josh Brolin? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's really insecure. Oh my god! Yeah, that that uh, that's an ugly dude. I'm better looking than him. Yeah, right? I, I don't. I you don't know, understand. Carsgard is floating around in his giant fat suit covered in oil. But okay, that's fine. Yeah, no, no, there's a human being. Yeah, but that's a man. An <laughs> absolute unit. Um, <laughs> oh lot he coming? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> so we should probably talk right. about the guy the movie's about um dune which Must is yeah, the titular Four? dune um paul Four paul atreides uh wow. you got we? duncan idaho gurney halleck leto atreides and jessica and paul hmm. um yep so Paul is, you know, he's the Luke Skywalker, the Harry Potter, the whatever, the King Arthur, the Jesus of the peace. The Jesus. And he, you know, he goes on this journey of like, he's leaving his home planet for the planet of Arrakis. And we find out that he's kind of been born to this, you know, uh, uh, glorious purpose, for, um, essentially. And, and you know, he's he's the messiah of the Fremen and the Bene Gesserit. Uh, in the book, by the way, we learn that one of the reasons the Fremen think he's the messiah is because the Bene Gesserit have been running a secret propaganda campaign to make them believe that, which is missing oh. from the movie entirely. Is that because um, he wears his boots in a cool way? Which is my yes. favorite line of the whole movie. Yes. Uh, 
Go on. So, uh, so every time he does something in the book, they're constantly quoting the prophecies that the Bene Gesserit have planted, mm. um, which is what happens when Cat when Kind says that line. So she's like, "You're wearing your your boots your in boots, the yeah. in the slip fashion or whatever," which is like the proper way to wear the boots on the still suit, which preserves your body's water, and. Right. He's like, it just seemed like it was the right way to do that. And she says, this is the only time they mention the prophecy in the entire movie. She says, mm -hmm. which is a direct quote from the book, he will know your ways as though they were his own. Yeah. Uh, or as though he were born to them. And uh, so in the movie, uh, that kind of happens. And then he gets exiled into the desert with, uh, you know, his mom and... He has the duel with the guy and it kind of touches on uh, that he is starting to get these visions of the future, almost like a Benny Gesserit or a Truthsayer or a Mentat, uh, because the movie uses all of those things almost interchangeably, which is annoying. So right. the, the Truthsaying is uh, unique to the Benny Gesserit and it happens exclusively when they inhale spice. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, Noel was telling me though that he's also trained as a mentat in the book, which they didn't even bring up. He's like the I, I guess secretly training him as one or something. His dad wanted to start secretly training him oh, as okay. one, but I don't know if he ever started mentat training. Because I was like, um, that's interesting too, and something else that we didn't know that would have made yeah. us different and cool. Yeah. So he gets this small prophecy of kind of where he's going as far as like kind of being the leader of the Fremen. Uh, mm -hmm. resistance fighting against uh, the Harkonnens and the Emperor. Yeah. And that's kind of all we get in the movie. Mm -hmm. In the book, this man sees the entirety of time all at once, and it kind of breaks his brain. Like, he sense. learns he learns everything about everyone. By the way, Lady Jessica, Baron Harkonnen's daughter. Wait, what? In that scene. Oh. Yep. In that scene, he, like, he he has this huge prophecy and he like tells her that she's pregnant and then tells her because it's a big mystery who her father is. He tells her that Baron Harkonnen is her father in that scene. That, okay, that makes sense. Because Nolan was like, he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm not going to say anything, but like, just know that the whatever they're called, I keep calling them Jesuits, which is an insult to actual Jesuits, but whatever they're called, like they don't know who their parents are. I was like, ooh, that's cool. Yeah. So that's fun. That's a fun twist. Yeah, not in the movie whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, seems like it should be important because that's something that develops a character, but this movie is adverse to that. So, nope. At every turn where they were able to have opportunity, they were like, no, no, thank you. Yep. Um, so, what did you guys think of Paul's arc in the film? Uh, uh, incomplete. Did, did not sure. pass. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just not, and not even like it's, it's, it's not even satisfying to hang out. Like, I don't give a shit about what happens to this kid. No. Yeah. And that's that's the same, my same complaint with, uh, what's her face, Ferguson. It's just like, it felt like sleepwalking. It wasn't even mm -hmm. bad enough that I was like, like when you watch like Tommy Wiseau and you're like, this is horrible acting. Right. Like, I know what horrible acting looks like. And I, I've seen Timothy Chalamet do really good things. So I'm like, I know that you're a good actor. So it could just be the material you were given in the direction. But it's just like, you look, tired and bored and it was just like i had i could not have cared less if anything i was most pleased when the film was over because i didn't have to watch it anymore 
and not even because it was like a, a horribly bad film like cats or anything it was just like this was so boring like none mm. of you seemed to care about what the, you were doing yeah so well, yeah it's, i could not have cared less about him or his arc i i don't like and then the the christ allegory was so obvious from the very like few first minutes of the movie I was like, oh, cool, another movie with a Christ figure. That's awesome. And it's, I mean, I don't know. as someone who has some knowledge of what happens later in the series, his yeah. character goes in some more interesting directions than yeah. you might think. I hope so. But this movie gives you very little to go on to anticipate that, other than him talking about a holy war in my name and like whatever like thing he rants about. You made me like, a freak! Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, that was good. That was Desert funny. power. Um, well, so, oh, man. <laughs> Um, like, like so maybe maybe he'll get better yeah but once again you've watched a two hour 45 minute movie and you come away yeah. not feeling anything either way about this guy that is yeah. a waste of time like this is the reason why this movie is very difficult to talk about and i think it's gonna this episode itself is gonna be maybe even divisive with some people who decide to listen to Ooh, it I hope so. um yeah if you the, liked it please tell me why i would like yeah. to know like, because I think that so much of this movie conveys or, or tries to be imbued with a sense that has purpose. I mean, it's shot mm -hmm. well. So, it's got it's got this yeah. booming music. It's got great actors associated with it. They act well with what they're given, but the story is just such empty stuff. And and I think that like it, the flash of it is enough to go and convince you you've seen a good movie. But like, it, there's there's just, it's just all sweet candy, and it, like, there's no actual substance behind it. Oh, yeah, I love I, so, flash. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say it's a flash in the pan. It's all style, no substance. MJ, yeah. go on. Yeah, well, so the entire time I was watching this movie, I was thinking about another episode we did uh, on Joker. I think I really no. hope I have this episode correct. But like, Mike, you brought up that like it feels like a 10 out of 10 movie, and it's not. And yeah. that's exactly how Dune feels. Like it looks mm -hmm. expensive, and you're supposed to see it in IMAX, and it's gonna look cool, big, and it doesn't because i think the movie actually kind of looks like that but anyway <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't like the way the movie looked but uh it, like it like they're, they're really hyping up like oh it has to be seen big it has to be seen big you have to hear it loud and the thing that i keep going back to is why it's just people in rooms talking mm -hmm. like yeah that is the book <laughs> um so it, you know the I mean, yeah, it's cool to see big stuff on an IMAX screen. And it was the first time yeah. I had been to like a big chain theater since COVID. And mm -hmm. it was the first time I'd seen something in IMAX since, uh, I don't know, uh, The Invisible Man, the last thing I watched before COVID. Oh, and uh, so it was neat to do that. But at the same time, I was like, I'm not getting anything different from this. Like there's no, there's still mm. nothing happening. It's still super boring when it doesn't look like kind of neat. Seriously, the only thing is I couldn't see the worm from my TV. There was like kind of a glare from like mm. just the outside window, and I heard yeah. the worm look good. So like I Google image search later because I was pissed. I told you guys if I wasn't going to see the worm, I was going to turn off the movie. And all yeah. I saw for a very long time were two shots of porcupine quill teeth coming out of the sand, and that's all. And I then saw. you saw a giant butthole. So, oh, see. <laughs> Okay, well, okay, you know what's funny is there was a joke on the TV show Chuck, which has not been on for a very long time, but at one point, uh, Zachary Levi and his friend for Halloween are the Dune sandworm, and everybody thinks that they're a giant space penis, and so I was like, that's all I could think of when I was watching it. I was like, yep, there's the giant space penis. That's fun. So, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll style no substance in a giant space butthole instead of a penis. Yep. <laughs> that's the film. Good movie. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah. Nothing. Just nothing. Nothing going on. Empty head. No thoughts. Yeah. yeah. Smooth brain. Pretty, pretty face. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, yeah. It's funny. As you guys were talking about it, I was just watching uh, an episode recent of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And um, the, the female character, D is kind of shitting on the guys because they like Rocky. And they're talking about how good Rocky is. And she's like, oh, it's it's not even a good movie. And they're like, well, what do you think is a good movie? And she's like, oh, Million Dollar Baby, because that's like around the time when it came out. And that you're literally only saying that because it's nominated for Oscars. And like, that's kind of how it feels where it's like Oscar season and, and like Hollywood in general just kind of like pushes us towards you should like these and think that these are very deep and dramatic movies because they're nominated for Oscars. You should like these ones because they're big and loud and supposedly actiony. So you'll think of them as like Marvel films or whatever else has yeah. been successful. Talk about this. It's just like, no. Like, you just think we're so stupid. Like, at what point are we like, this is not good. Like, I see your little puppet strings, but it's not a good film. There's Thing literally is, nothing here. But I feel like there's such a sincerity to Dune, too. Like, they feel like they nailed this. A self-seriousness, yeah. yeah. And there are people backing it up. There are people that think it's good. So I people really think am it's great. to hear A lot from of people, people I know really liked it. Yeah. What's what you, my my friend Raquel in, in the show with me really liked it. So now I need to talk to him about it because I'm like, what the yeah. heck, man? I have several film critic buddies, both of of whom's opinions I respect and some I don't. And uh, they all, but they all were like, great movie. They've seen it like multiple times and not because man. they got bored on their phone. I know one guy uh, who's seen it three times in IMAX. I can't imagine, man. Do you know what I could do with that many hours of my life not being wasted on watching this shitty, shitty film? <laughs> I yeah. could probably learn more French or Spanish or any other language or go travel to another state You can rewatch the theatrical cuts, at least, of Lord of the Rings, which are the superior cuts, and also oh, good movies. They're, I mean, I love the extended ones, but... Yeah, but I mean, and that's what I think is so frustrating, because it's like, the runtime A is so freaking long for this movie. And I love Lord of the Rings, which is even longer, mm -hmm. obviously, much, much, much longer. But it's like, okay, they did so much with a bigger, well, I mean, not even bigger. It was only three stories, right, for Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So it's like, I don't, I, I can't even, like, give you the credit enough to say, well, there was just too much source material. You didn't have enough time. Like, no, no I'm sorry. Peter Jackson did that back in, like, the late 90s and <laughs> yeah. was able to do amazing work with it and it's like and you had you use so much time to do so incredibly little yeah. like and the smallest amount you could have possibly done with this it's yeah. so frustrating it's, the other, it's, it's not visible yeah the the other thing too peter jackson that's the first time he'd been handed a budget that big yeah hmm. Denis wave he's been increasing his budget. Like, the last thing he made was Blade Runner 2049, which was a huge, expensive, long sci-fi epic that nobody saw. Yep. Mm -hmm. What? Well, yeah. And on top of all of this, Lord of the Rings filmed all the movies back to back and then oh, yeah. shoots in between years. But at the very least, like, even if you're getting a story that was cut into parts, you knew within a year you're going to begin the next part. Um, right. That being, but also, that being said... You know, the Fellowship of the Ring is satisfying in and of itself. Yes. Like oh, the Two Towers is satisfying in and of itself. Return yes. of the King. Um, but yeah, they're all great. They're all great. It's satisfying, but the end sucks. Like, I yeah, mean, the yeah. end. The ends are fine. Like, they they end logically. There's just, it's just yes. too much. It's too right, much movie. Right. Right. And like how good the others were and how uh, those ends were was yeah. That's fine. Continue. Sorry, there's, I like, to there's still like definitive kind of endings to each one where you feel like yeah, actually, right. you know, like that kind of have like a statement. It kind of said something about this particular film. And then this, you not only have to wait several years and try to remember all this shit you just watched, 
But I cannot uh, wait in two years when people are like, what the fuck happened in part one? Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. But you, know, like, you didn't even get like a good statement at the end of this one, like to describe yeah. what it is. You're waiting yeah. for the statement still. You know what's funny is when it went to black, there was a moment before it happened where it's like I could tell given the music, given what was happening. I'm like, I think the movie's about to be over. Yeah. But I am also confident it can't be because nothing has happened and i'm like there's, there's no way it's gonna go to black and then open up on something else and then it didn't and it went to credits and i was very thrilled but i was well, also like uh, okay what, yeah, what just occurred the, the part where you sense that it's gonna be over is when zendaya looks at the camera and says wait for part two coming 2023 i mean, <laughs> I mean this is only the beginning is what she says yeah she says this is only the beginning i do want to talk about that yeah. last scene because it is the funniest thing i've seen in a movie this year and barb and star came out this year um <laughs> It ends so so funny. It ends so funny. Because it ends with Paul like looking at a guy surfing on a sandworm. Oh yeah. And he, he <laughs> smiles. He smiles and then in the shittiest ADR ever goes desert power. <laughs> and then Zendaya says, This is only the beginning. And then it cuts to credits. And I was like, what? <laughs> Oh yeah, man! I uh, blocked that out of my memory. What yeah. was that? Why <laughs> did that power, happen? Desert Power is not nearly a good enough line to have been repeated several That's times as a motif the throughout the. Yeah, just it, what? The, I will say that is the fault of the source material because it is constant. Uh, they talk about Desert Power a lot. A lot, so much. They oh. talk about it so much. They actually talk about it less in the movie. Well, you know what? Then God. fine. They bring it up in the movie because when you say it once offhandedly, as we are now seeing a man surfing on this giant monster that we've had. Oh, they say it three times time. in the movie. Do they? Yeah. I so they say it once in the graveyard scene. Uh, he says, power? yeah. So mm -hmm. he says here, here on, on Caladan, we've had to use, we've had to rule with air and air and water power. Yeah. And on Arrakis, we'll have to rule oh. with desert power. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I didn't even care. Didn't care enough to hear that. So and then that's my bad. The movie, he mentions it as well. Yeah. When they, after the hunter seeker tries to kill Paul and he goes into that strategy meeting, he talks yeah. about uh, that they need to em employ desert power. But in the book, there's a lot, like more than once, Leto like monologues about what desert power is. It still sucks in the book, but mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it, it is, it is important enough to where I, I get why it's in the movie but i don't know okay. about the serving on the sand that's right before like that's probably the next thing i'm gonna hear in the book uh and uh surfing on sandworms yeah maybe i don't know depending i'm like right right before the duel is where i'm at in the book so it goes a little past where i'm at but it was so so funny you said control yeah. f and then seek to see where there's uh surfing on sandworms just so you can know I'm listening, to the, I'm listening to the audiobook well, find the transcript. <laughs> oh, goodness. Isn't the what transcript just the book? <laughs> well, you can't control F a book, so. I don't know what to tell you. Sorry, I'm a millennial. Uh, yeah, it's what a crazy way to end a movie. It's not supposed to be funny, right? No, no. It's hilarious. It's one of those things that's like, what, what's the word for it? Like, norm? Like, where it, like, it thinks that it's being, like, serious, but it's actually unintentionally hilarious, like, and corny. That, that's what yeah. it is.
Yeah. Well, and Mike, I I had texted you. We can end on this. This this tweet that was kind of going viral around film Twitter, where like someone was like, "Dune is the most humorless movie I've ever seen." There's one joke in it in the first ten minutes, uttered by Jason Momoa. Cherish it. It's the only one you'll get. That's true. Mm. And people who like that, who liked Dune, were like, "Wow, the MCU has completely broken our brains. Like we can't even enjoy movies what? without." without a quip like a quip every five minutes and i was like no no this is a tweet about how the movie is so self-serious yeah like this has nothing to do with the mcu it's this has everything to yes has everything to do with how much the movie is so broody and it thinks it's awesome because it's doing it Mm -hmm. yeah no i mean even from the poster like it's so like it's so dramatic but it's like it's not a drama but it doesn't know if it is because it's trying to include jokes they made the spitting thing a joke and that wasn't supposed to be a joke so it's just like that's i don't true, know what joke. the hell it was supposed to be oh my yeah. gosh what but is also I, well the cool thing, the thing MCU, get off your high horse nobody cares uh the thing yeah mike uh the thing about <laughs> um... <laughs> i don't like a lot of me either but still i'm not gonna shit on people because of it the, the the issue I have with that tweet is uh, I don't know how you could think there's one joke in the movie when it ends the way it does because that's the funniest thing in the movie. That's true. Yeah. The sandworm yeah. surfing is, is pretty funny. Just, I mean, but also just to end with like a blatant wink at the camera. Here's the sequel. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> to be continued. And then they go into cry like the Marvel Universe when it has like stingers or this or that. When like this movie ends with literally like a teaser trailer for Dune 2 is, yeah. is kind of yeah. Amazing. Well, and, and you know, my favorite part of Fellowship in the Ring is when they're like, we got to go to those two towers over there. Yeah. <laughs> they do not say that. I hate you. It's not accurate. Uh. But and then at the end of Two Towers, when they're like, ah, I guess the king's got to return. Right. Gosh. <laughs> they don't say the title until the actual film itself. Just watch. At which point, yes, they do turn like, and wake Dune 2 Desert Power. But no, Dune the interview thing, though, is a good point. Because it's like, I feel like people, again, get so self-serious and get on a high horse where it's like, I've decided not to like this. And it might be an objectively bad thing is the thing. But that's fine. A- acknowledge objectively bad things across the board. Don't pretend like the objectively bad thing that you don't like is not as objectively bad as this other thing that you've decided to like now. And don't shit on other people for liking one or the other. It's like, fine. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, there are a lot of MCU movies that are not good, but this is also not a good movie. And that's not because people like MCU. It's just not a good movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like people that- are too... Ugh. Too, too party. Uh, it's like, I don't know, same with politics and shit too, but it's like people Our get too partisan. much in their own camps. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and there's there's been this like the, you know, and I think there's absolutely valid criticisms to be leveled at the MCU for like dominating oh, the absolutely. box office and choking out like smaller films. But like, uh, it's obviously not hurt Dune whatsoever, but Denise, no. one of these guys, and he's not as vocal as some other ones, but like you can tell by the fact that uh, of how he is, like that he's one of these people. And the the problem with that, like, I mean, it's just as disingenuous as like Adam McKay shitting on the Fast and Furious movies at the end of right. Vice. Like, is that was the most obnoxious thing I've seen in a movie in like a decade plus, uh, which is crazy because uh, Vice is a very annoying movie, and uh, that's the most annoying thing that happens in it. And it's like, well, I've been entertained by way more Fast and Furious movies than I was Vice. Also, oh, yeah. you Same made Anchorman. Oh yeah. <laughs> Also, you made Anchorman, so yeah. 
pump the brakes a little bit, dude. You had a yeah. giant erection joke in your movie. So yeah, you're like on a high horse of comedy. So. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's definitely that tone where it's like, ah, like, I don't say, like, you can't not criticize the thing, right? And like, the Fast and Furious movies have gotten way worse, but uh, come on. <laughs> yeah. that's the that's the fight you're choosing to pick it's so lame it's so well, it's lame. like the comparison thing it's like if you just said this is a movie that i don't like i don't think is good that's fine end it there right. but don't start like shitting on other people's choices just because they are entertained by other things that you don't find good because you've also made shitty stuff so i don't know yeah yeah well the i think part of denise thing is that he's been so, like you know most people like all of his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they do get kind of blinded by that. And not like, I know, Mike, you said that you like the majority of his films, but like, I know people who think that he's like the best filmmaker working today. Oh, yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know plenty of people who think that. And Interesting. Like, I, I think he's got two good movies and two good movies only. Like, I... Yeah. I find his movies largely overstuffed. I find them very self-serious like yeah i haven't seen enemy so maybe i would like that one but of the ones i've seen uh let me see i've seen one two three four five of his films i've liked two of them hmm. yeah so well I don't know. Also, and, there's just a part of me that thinks that it's kind of funny for you to go and act like you're the underdog when um you're making right. a million dollar film <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah your movie costs just as much as any mcu movie dipshit yeah. like <laughs> based off of like you know a well-known intellectual property so you're like also still contributing to the problem a bit mm-hmm. um yeah but anyway it's it's a I don't want to harp on it too much, but it is sure. interesting some of this like MCU comparison stuff and just how hypocritical everyone can be on it. To other multi-million yeah. dollar movies or yes. hundreds of million dollar movies. Yeah, that are like regurgitated. Like Dune's a remake too, by the yep. way. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's not even the first stab at this thing. It's the third. It's yeah. not even the second stab at it. You yeah. know, like... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're not... You're Yeah, come on, man. Uh... Yeah, and like, once again, not to harp on it too much, but like, I feel like at least Scorsese comes by it a little honestly, you know? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, I know he's dropping two hundred million to make you know CGI Robert De Niro or whatever, but <laughs> poorly. Yeah. Yep. Do you guys have anything else about Dune? I almost said Midnight Mass. Uh... <laughs> I know because that's such a better thing to watch. If you have the option, watch Midnight Mass instead of Dune. Just don't, don't even, man, don't watch it. Don't waste your time. It's not even bad enough like Cats where I would say go get drunk and watch it because oh, it's no. kind of fun with friends. No. This was just aggressively boring. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just a bad, boring movie, uh, Mike. Uh, d- Desert Power. Desert Power. Uh, <laughs> Baron Harkonnen has Desert Power, so my money's on him. Um, hey, he is the walrus. <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh really hard. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you want to see a, a movie about a guy named Paul, uh, you should watch it. And his mom, Jesse. And his, yes, his mom, Jesse. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not good. Not a good movie. Do not recommend. Uh, 
you know, I don't think it's worth your time. Maybe, maybe it'll be more worth your time when two years, when it's actually going to matter. Um, and we get the follow-up to it, but, uh, as it stands, if you're super interested in Dune, read the book. It's, you know, and I'm not even a guy who thinks like, oh, the book is always superior because Jaws is my favorite film. And that is the definite thing that, uh, mm -hmm. destroys that rule. But man, the book is so much better than the movie. It's so much better. Yeah. Um, so yeah, read, read the book. If you're really, if like, if the trailer for Dune caught your eye, read the book, play Dune Imperium. Uh, it's an oh, excellent, yeah. excellent, Other excellent board that. game. The what? game is great. Also, there are <laughs> very, very, very funny renderings of the actors in the movie in the artwork <laughs> for the game. It's great. Uh, Timothy Chalamet's character looks like he's holding in a fart, which is actually kind of accurate to how he looks in the film. So, <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you guys have anything to plug? Um, nope. Not really. Uh, don't see it. Go get board games. I plugged, uh, I think, what was it? Uh, local art last time. Go uh, play board games. Go with your loved ones and play board games. Stop watching bad movies. Stop watching bad movies. Play board games. Yep. That's my uh, life. and watch Midnight Mass. Yeah, you. Uh, I have a, a, a golly. That's so funny. Um, the I have another podcast. I cannot look at this Timothy Chalamet artwork right now. It's horrible. Um, it's no, so it doesn't bad. look like he's holding it in. It looks like he just crop dusted you, and he's looking to see <laughs> if you notice that he just farted. <laughs> it's a hor. Everybody, Google image search it right now. It's it's wonderful. It's pretty great. Um, yeah, you can find me on Let's Jaws for a minute. Uh, I think by the time you're hearing this, we're rapidly approaching episode 60. I think episode 58 or 59 just came out. Maybe even episode 60. Um, but we are in the middle of Indianapolis month on Let's Jaws for a minute. So it is taking us an entire month to get through the Indianapolis speech because we are watching the film one minute at a time because we're stupid. Oh, I like um, you guys are breaking that whole thing down because I know sometimes you guys do a few minutes at a time, right? Depending. Yeah. 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 Well, that's fine. It, no, it's it's three and a half minutes of stuff and there's yeah. a lot going on. So well, for you guys. Uh yep. Um yeah. Other than that, don't don't see Dune. Uh read read it. Read it and play the game. There you go. If you're if you're that interested in it. And but seriously play the game. It's a really good game. Google but, image uh, picture of Timothy Chalamet from the game. Yep. Uh until next time, the Muadib is the bad guy. <laughs>